It's excellent to have Diana Cervedo with me today. Fellow Boricua, how you doing? Bien, you too. There we go. Um, so tell us where you're from. Where'd you grow up? Where were you born? Yeah, I was born in Isabela, Puerto Rico. Okay. Um, my family lived there until I was 12. And then from there, we moved to Florida. Um, what part of Florida? Kissimmee. Okay. I went to junior high and high school in Kissimmee. And don't, then, they, don't we call Orlando Puerto Rico number two or San Juan number two or something like that? It's absolutely. The, it's the new New York for us? Yep. Okay. Little Puerto Rico. At that time, this is um, 1994. So at that time, it was very uh, less populated with Hispanics. Sure. Um, but now it's definitely a big if, little if Puerto you don't Rico. don't speak Spanish. Yep. Estás perdido. Exactly. Right? Okay, cool. So when did you arrive here in Utah? Uh, 2000, June 2000, I came out here for school um, for upon graduating university? high school. university? Mm -hmm. Okay. Where'd you go to school? Um, UVU. UVU, cool. Um, so that's your all, alma mater all the way through because you did your graduate work there as well, right? That's right. Okay. So I started, when I first got here, I started um, at UVU and then soon after got married and stopped going to school because I started having kids. Um, but yeah, I've been here 23 years. Lo love Utah? I love Utah, but winter tough. is a little tough for I'm me. The same. It's yeah, a little I'm the long. Same. Yeah, it's long. Do you ski, snowboard, or? No, I'm not very. I've tried. I'm not very good at it. Uh, but my kids are pros. That's cool. And then how many kids do you have? Four. Four kids. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oldest being. How Twenty-two. Many? Twenty-two. Twenty-two, twenty-one, sixteen, and fifteen. Wow. So you're almost an empty nester with those ages. Yep. And are they, are they going to school? Are they working? What, what's going on in their lives? Yeah. So my two oldest are going to school and working. Um, they're both moved out. So kind of hard, that transition. Parenting adults is it's a different experience, but I love to see them thriving. Um, and then I have two high schoolers, one that's a senior graduating this year and one that's a sophomore. Got it. Okay. So you're, you're a busy mama. Yeah. And when you did your master's degree, what, did you, what was your concentration? What did you focus on? Um, it's a master's in business administration. So I originally moved to Utah to go to school, but stopped going to school and started having a family and still worked. I was, I've always worked, um, to help support my family. Um, but then, um, in 2012, I decided to go back to school cause I was putting my husband through school at, you know, through those years and raising my kids. Um, and I got my undergraduate degree. Um, in secondary education and Spanish literature out of UVU with a, a minor in international studies. And I graduated in 2015. And then um, at that point, I got a divorce and I started a master's of business administration at UVU as well. How, how soon after your divorce did um, you start your master's? The month that he moved out, I started my, so August of 2016. And was that to be able to move up and be able to support the kiddos? Absolutely. Okay. Um, okay. Well, I commend you for that. That's, that's a lot of work as a, as a mom and going to school. How, how did, how were you able to keep everything together as far as like being a single mom, going to school, paying the bills? How, so I'm sure there's a lot of viewers that are going through a similar situation. How does one go through that? You know, that was probably one of the darkest seasons of my life. Um, going through a divorce, I think people don't realize it's really like a death. You're mourning that person. You're mourning what the entity of your family is. And I was working at that point at a law firm as a litigation paralegal. Um, and um, I was also there 
compliance manager. Um, and I was working 65 hours a week. Wow. Um, I went to school. I was doing the uh, full-time program. Um, so which by the is way, when you nights. do the math, sorry. Yeah. 65 hours a week, that leaves you with only 100 hours left for your time. There's mm -hmm. 168 hours in our weeks. So 103 is the balance. That's a lot of time at work. It is a lot of time. Um, and I was going to school Tuesday and Thursday nights from 6 to 10 p.m. Um, and my kids were little. Mm. Uh, my youngest was six. My oldest was 11 and a half. That's crazy. So school, work, just eating up those hours. Man, keep going. Okay, keep going. And, you know, it was a new, you know, it had just happened. Mm. So the kids were mourning that, um, really focusing on their mental health and providing. I was in a fight or flight mode for two years. And, and I look back and I people ask me like, wow, how did you do that? I genuinely, it, it wasn't, it, it was, it's superhuman, right? And it wasn't me. I had my hero, which is my mom, um, there when I wasn't able to be there. So the nights that I had class, my mom would come and stay with my kids. And my older two kids, Jared and Maven, they're my, they're the mom and dad while yeah. I was gone to the little sisters. And they became really independent really fast, which is something I carry a lot of shame and guilt for. Because as a parent, you only want to provide and take care. But it, it was, if I didn't do that. And then at that time, you know, my ex-husband, you know, was trying to figure his life out. And so he wasn't really in the picture. So it was solo. I had full custody. And in order to make up some of that income, I would clean offices mm. at night when the kids went to bed. So I would pull all nighters for two years, probably three times a week, just so that I can study. So I have crawled my way out of that. Wow. No, that's, that's superhero at its finest. Like that's, that's insane. So props to you for making that happen. And I think that just shows the love and the passion that you have for your children and for life because you want a better life. You know, I know that we have that immigrant mentality. Sure. Puerto Rico, which is where I'm from and where you're from. In fact, our families, the town Isabela is right next to San Sebastian, where my family's yeah. from. Um, even though we're an associated Republic of the United States of America, you know, we're U.S. citizens. When you go to Puerto Rico, you know in two seconds that it's not like one of the 50. Right. It's its its, its own country with a lot of ties to the U.S. So when you leave the island, which is only 100 miles by 35, when you come here, you you want the you want the American opportunity. Absolutely. You want to live the American dream. You're not going to come here and just be lackadaisical about it. You're going to go all in. So that, that fighter mentality, that immigrant mentality, that's in full effect. And I can see it right here. Like here's living proof of it. Thank you. Working those, you know, 65 hours in the office, going to school and then working that night shift to make ends meet as a single mom, man, that's just, that's a lot of work. But what you become through it, like anything that's thrown your way now, I'm sure you can attack it with no problem at all. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is being a mom and being, you know, what you've done, like it's better preparation than anything that you can face in the C-suite, period, end of story. Absolutely. So as you're going to school, like, did you go with like, I have, like, I have to make this thing happen, that intensity was there, survival mode, fight or flight, like what, what carried you through school? And I know that if you look back, it might be a lot of 
haziness because it's like, how did I make this thing happen? But yeah. what was the overall mentality when you're in there day in and day out? I was determined to break the cycle. I come from a family that very low social economics. We were poor. And I, sometimes you say poor and people are like, oh, okay, Yeah, so define poor. poor. What is poor? I mean, we, um, you know, we grew up where my mom would just, we would have white rice sure. and white rice with corn. Um, and my mom would let us eat and that's all we had to eat. We grew up having holes in our shoes. Our car had big holes and we joke around now. Now it's a joke, right? But it was a, a Hunter Green Volkswagen in Puerto Rico and um, La Salitre. So because of the ocean, the salt yeah. eats the metal of the vehicle. And yeah, this yeah, is yeah. an old vehicle. So the back seat of the Volkswagen, the entire back didn't have a floor. So there was a cardboard and we would have to hold our feet up like mm. that so that we wouldn't obviously hurt ourselves or get wet. And um, so, and... El carro de los Picapiedra, the Flintstones, right? Exacto. And so I knew my entire life how to go hungry, mm. how to go without, how to do with bare minimum. Um, and when I moved, when we moved to Florida, my family, my dad is a drug addict and an alcoholic. Mm. So we had a really rough childhood. Um, and when we moved to Florida, my mom finally divorced him and, you know, snapped out of the toxic relationship that was, she was in. And that was the best thing that ever happened to us because we never went hungry again. Um, but I remember that transition um, you know, she was working two full-time jobs just so that she could provide for us. But when we left and separated from my dad, we were homeless. My brother, sister, and I, and my mom slept in the car for three weeks behind the Winn-Dixie in Poinciana. Um, and as a ninth grader going through that, it's hard, you know, and, and my mom would drive us to uh, Cypress Point Resort, which she, where she used to clean as a, a, a supervisor of housekeeping. And we would shower there and we would sleep in the car. And we did that until she had enough money to get an apartment. Wow. So my finding myself in a similar situation, going through a divorce and struggling was my, um, a way that I found grit to pull through to break the cycle. Mm. I was determined that my kids would not live through what I lived through. Yeah. And I just wanted to do them justice and do better for them. Mm. You were like, this ends with me. Absolutely. This ends here. I'm not going to be a victim or a person of those Vic victim. It's, I mean, you weren't a victim. Like That's you, right. you're a hero through your entire journey, sleeping behind the wig, Dixie, when Dixie in a, in a car, you're still a hero because you chose to make the best of it. And you chose to just say, this is what it is. And I'm going to move forward. So you've been a hero your entire time. But you didn't. You wanted to be the one breaking the cycle, saying, "No, no more, no, no mas. more. This ends with me. My kids are going to have a better opportunity. I didn't come here in vain. I'm going to make this thing happen. I'm my own superhero. That's right. I'm going to bet on Diana Acevedo. I don't need anybody else to come in here and save the day for me. I am my own superhero, and I'm going to show my superpowers to the world. And I'm going to break these cycles. So that's an absolutely beautiful story. And and a lot of the lessons learned is quite often the things that we take for granted on a daily are the exact same things that other people are praying for. Like if you go to a gas station right now and you don't find your brand of bottled water, you get upset. Oh, they only have Arrowhead or Dasani. They don't have my Fiji or my boss, right? But it, like, what are we doing? What are we thinking? Like people, people around the world are, don't have food. They don't have shoes. They don't have shelter. And that's the vast majority when you really look at the stats. 
So we have to be grateful for what we have before it becomes what we had. Mm. And, you know, I think you're in honor of that. So not only are you an inspiration to your kids, you unknowingly are an inspiration to everybody viewing now and for the generations to come. So that's a beautiful thing. So you're a superhero. And that's why we're highlighting, you. highlighting you today. Thank you, Jeff. That means a lot. I, I struggle with imposter syndrome because I feel like anyone... I, I'll tell you this right now. Yeah. There is zero imposter in you and Diana Sayo. There's zero. And nobody can tell you otherwise. They can say it, but they're entitled to their own opinions, but they're not entitled to your, their own facts. You are a superhero. Thank There's you. no imposter here. I really appreciate that. I, you know, I, I remember my mom is a, such a simple woman. Um, I'm a first generation student. So I feel like I'm doing all these firsts to try to progress and break the cycle. First generation student, first getting obviously a, a master's degree. Um, I was the first child they got married. I really wanted that family entity, the safety net. I, you know, and all of these things that I keep trying to um that I see others doing, but no one in my ecosystem has done. And I don't know how to go about doing it. So for me, it has been the voice of my mom and her voice is always with me in any decision that I make. I am not, um, I'm in control of my, of my life and in my future, no matter my circumstances. So she always taught me like, be resourceful, no matter what, what happens, bet on yourself, outwork anybody and, you can do anything you want. So even though I didn't have someone modeling that for me or telling me, hey, this is the path, here you go, do X, Y, Z, I have found myself with beautiful mentors and advocates and allies like yourself. Uh, my professors at during my MBA program at UVU are two, Mortensen and Milligan are still two of my heroes they saw something in me at that time it was i literally went in, in in and out of class like i didn't mingle i didn't chat i needed to get home to clean do homework feed my kids put them to bed i could i didn't have the capacity nor the desire to be chat get to know people so no one in my cohort barely knew me um but i was taking all the lessons that i was applying uh, learning from um the classes and applying them into my current role at the law firm and that really helped me scale quickly within the first semester i got a promotion i got a twenty thousand dollar raise and i i caught it i it was like a light came inside me and i was like okay i got you i my biggest asset is my brain and what do I do with how, what I know and how do I apply it? How do I find the holes and the gaps and, and make sure I have proper, proficient and efficient processes in place that allow us to scale and grow a business? And that has become my niche in every single role that I have had since then. And that's what's helped me grow and help other companies. Um, so I think I, I give all that honor to my my queen, my hero, my best friend, my mama. That's awesome. That's a beautiful honor and homage to her. So props to her. Let, let's honor her right now. What's her name? Diane Perez. There you go, Diane Perez. That's an honor to you. You're a hero. Love you, mom. Um, so now you're in the C-suite. So you've gone through all the things that you've gone through. Um, you went through school on your own, single mom, super tough to do. I mean, there's people that, 
are still in college and they've been at it for eight years and their parents pay for it. And you know what I mean? They just don't yeah. take advantage of the opportunity. You, on the other hand, it's like, I have no time for you guys. That's right. I'm in here. I'm going to get this thing done and I'm going places. So now you're in the C-suite. How does it feel to be in the C-suite? And we can even talk about the company that you represent. So how does it feel to be in, you know, in, in such a cool position at such a cool company? How does it feel now that you're here? Um, you know, it feels a little bit unreal sometimes. Um, I love being at Gab. Gab's mission brings me so much passion. And maybe explain for the viewers, what does Gab do? What is Gab? Yeah, Gab is a telecommunication company. It's safe tech in steps. Um, we create uh, devices, a Gab watch and phones and software that provides uh, an opportunity for kids to stay connected but safe in a safe way. Obviously, social media, web browsers, internet has so much, it's beautiful tools, powerful tools. But when we introduce that at a young age to a child um, without uh, really educating them and putting barriers, they get exposed too soon. And that creates all kinds of, of problems, right? Mental, emotional, spiritual development, um, anxiety, depression, comparison. And so our mission is to protect innocence as much as possible. And we believe in tech and steps and introducing that at the right time, according to the maturity of the child, we encourage healthy conversations. Um, you know, we live in a society that kids know so much and parents are unaware really of how much the kids are exposed to and we really want to be um, a resource and a tool for them to be able to have healthy shameless conversations about education and openness i love that what a mission-driven company so that's awesome um so what what do you do on a daily what's your role yeah i am the senior vice president of operations and customer experience at gab um, I oversee um, all logistics, uh, supply chain, fulfillment, warehouse. It's a massive job, massive undertaking. And, and Gab's a big company. Yeah. I mean, lot, thousands and thousands and thousands of customers. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's no small fee. It's one of the biggest um, tech companies in the state of Utah right now. That's correct. And your footprint is nationwide, right? That's you guys right. are on all 50 states. Okay, awesome. So... What gets you excited about being in this role? You know, I dreamt of this, um, of being in the C-suite only because I really wanted to be, have a voice as a female in an industry that's male dominant in tech, you know, telecom, but any, any industry, um, a female minority in, um, a C-suite or in, in, in a table where you can have a voice and make decisions that was so far beyond what I could, I thought that I could achieve, but I still had it on my vision board because I knew that if I was there, I was able to make an impact and make an impact in um, not only utilizing resources, but uplifting others and helping others be their best selves and thrive. So this is what's interesting. If you hadn't gone through some of the things that you went through growing up, there's no way you could be that counselor that coach that ambassador that motivator that trainer for the folks that are going through what they're going through today the darkest nights produce the brightest stars i've said this before so you going through it in the more in the moment it sucks it's a suck sandwich yeah but by you going through it it's actually a blessing because you went through those hardships that others maybe have been through so they haven't learned 
those lessons. They haven't been through that refiner's fire. So now when you're dealing with C sweet stuff, it's probably not that difficult for you from what you had to deal with in the past. Absolutely. You're, you're 100% right. I, you know, in the C-suite or in any boardroom, your job is to problem solve, to drive mission, drive goals, execute and problem solve. And I've been problem solving since I was five years old. I remember, you know, in Puerto Rico, flushing my dad's little cocaine bottle in the toilet um, because I knew that when he took it, it would cost, we would get hit. Right. And so that um, really has my entire life has been uh, a form of how do I maximize our, my current resources and exceed and excel. And I know how to do that. I know how to run a business really lean, um, very profitable and very, you know, lean in a way not only that drives efficiency, but monetarily to protect the profit margins. Yeah, this is what's interesting. When companies or families have so many resources, quite often not a lot gets done. Constraint is what creates creativity. Absolutely. Because when you don't have all these things around you, you have to be creative. Mm -hmm. So I lived in the Dominican Republic for five years too, and you know this. How do kids play baseball? What do they play with? A wood, wood stick. Yeah, broomsticks, whatever sticks, cualquier palito de un árbol que pueden encontrar, and then they're using yeah. bottle caps. That's right. So when they hit, when they hit the bigs, they can see the baseball this big. They're they're hitting bottle caps this big because they didn't have the money to buy the baseballs. That's right. So res uh, lack of resources created in the imagination and the ingenuity. So when they have these resources, they're like, oh, let's go. So I can see you with all these resources that Gab has being here in the U.S., being in the C-suite. You're like, I could problem solve at age five. And now I have these resources. I have a team. I have capitalization, I have a market segment, I have a product that people want and need. Like, my goodness, let's rock and roll. Absolutely. So that's that's beautiful. So a lot of these things that we've gone over, is it hard for you to talk about these things? Hard to talk mm. about your divorce, hard to talk about your dad being a drug addict? Has, has that been difficult? Oh, Jeff, you know, this is something that I, I've struggled with a lot. When I first... Um, only a year and a half ago, I started speaking about my journey and my childhood. Um, and within my family, I'm the one that likes to avoid the topic. I never wanted it. And I remember my first post-graduate um, school job at Filevine. Um, my boss did not know I was a single mom. I did not share with people my journey and my struggle. I never wanted to be discriminated upon or disqualified or seen as that's not someone that we, you know, might need some accommodation. So I can't as a single mom or a minority, a female um, that might need additional resources. So she's not, you know, the, the candidate, the ideal candidate. So I have always carried that with shame and, and not only shame, but I, I use it as a tool to drive me to do better and break the cycle, but I never wanted to, I guess what I'm saying is I was always in f fear of living in the past, always focused in my future, and I was not settled in my present and not enjoying my present, mm. right? And so I have just recently um, started sharing my journey um, only to hopefully inspire others that might be struggling, that you can technically, really, literally, I genuinely believe with every fiber of my being, you can be and do anything you want. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. 
So when you started sharing these stories and when you started being more open, did you feel liberated? I did. I did. It felt like I can be my authentic self. Um, and since then, it's been a very beautiful healing journey for me um, because I feel like I have had to deconstruct all the societal labels and cultural labels and my upbringing labels and reconstru uh, reconstruct who I am today and what my capabilities are. And I do that through just affirmations, right? Um, but really ingrained, rewiring my thought process about who I am and not letting it be something of shame because technically I didn't do anything wrong. I was a child, right? Um, but I never... I wanted to be seen as someone that could be respected and that brings value. And I just thought that that my background held me back from that. Well, that's awesome. I mean, I think what it does, like I said before, it makes you that much more powerful. It makes you that much more dangerous in a good way. Dangerous meaning that, Hey, this person is a person that wants something is going to get something and makes things happen. Like you want them on your team. Right. When you talk about dangerous players in the leagues like NBA, NFL, MLB, et cetera, it means that they can they can come at you. They can come after the competition. You want that person on your team. And by you going through what you're, you've gone through, again, it's molded you into somebody like super powerful and super strong. And I'm really happy for you that you're willing to tell that story, because I think what that does, it it brings more love your way. It allows you to love yourself more and it just frees you because it is what it is. Yeah. Right. Like there's nothing to hide. This, this is who I am. It's part of my universe. Like you said, that had nothing to do with you. You were a kid. Yeah. Right. And there's, there's no shame in that at all whatsoever. Um, it's just, it's just a beautiful part of who you are. Now you can tell these stories and I'm sure there are beautiful life, life lessons for you. And, and probably, you probably want to even want it any other way because that's who you are. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Now it has been, it's what's molded me, what has driven me. It's who I am. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for those experiences. Like my wife and I, we talk about it all the time. My, my wife, you know, she came from Argentina. And when she was coming to the States, you know, six of them in the house. And they're like, hey, don't take the towel. They had one towel for six people. You know, I, and I, I lived in, you, you know, my, my situation in Puerto Rico. Yeah. But sometimes we look back and we're like, man, how do we give our kids the things that we had? Because we, we want to give them all the things that we didn't have. Right. But how do we give them the things that we did have, which is grit, resourcefulness, um, an ability to just maneuver through hard situations, um, an, a, an environment where you can't just get socks any day of the month. You have to wait till Christmas for your socks and your underwear. That's right. You know, gifting you the underwear. Um, that lack of resources was a massive gift to us. Because now when we have these tools and we have the opportunity, we know how to leverage them. We know how to harness them. You know, when, when you've always had everything available to you, sometimes you don't know how to pick up that hammer or that screwdriver. But we, we had to figure it out as kids. And yeah. how, do, how do, so that's the question. How, so, so now you've been working super hard so that your kids never have to go through some of the things that you went through. How do you, Diane, still gift your kids the ability to have that grit and that resourcefulness? Like, how, how, how do you go through that? I'm just curious. Yeah, it's a very fine line as a parent because once you, you know, you go from penny pinching because you have to buy groceries or pay a utility to having, you know, stability 
and that flexibility and that peace of mind. Because really. I'm sure you want to pay for everything for them. I do. Yeah, I do. But you know, once my, I've, I've told my kids, like if I invest in you, it's the only thing that I'm going to help you invest in is your education, because I've have found that it's so powerful for me, education or business. I have taught them and they've watched me. That's, that's, I think the most powerful thing. They saw me grind. Um, and I hope that the only thing that I have, that I have taught them is work ethic. Cause I feel like. I can go neck to neck with anybody when it comes to working. I will outwork anybody. I'm not afraid of hard work. I'm not afraid of cleaning toilet. No matter my title, no matter where I'm at, I will go down to the fulfillment center and pack boxes and help my team. I will take chats and calls, whatever is needed, because that's just who I am and that's how I was raised. And I am raising my kids to do the same thing. That's beautiful. Depend on nobody, rely on yourself, go get whatever you want through sweat equity, right? Love that. That's beautiful. What a what a beautiful lesson to teach your kids as a mom. So Diane, how's it been? You being in the C-suite, you have your MBA. Um, does the stigma of, hey, you're a woman still take effect in today's workplace? I'm not naming any company specifically, but do, do men in the C-suite still fall back on the old rituals of treating you a little bit differently because of your, of your gender? How, how does that work? How, what have you experienced? Because if you ask men that question they're not going to give an honest answer mm -hmm. um we have to advocate for change in a positive light i'm not asking for a bailout or a handout or anything like that i'm just asking for um not even equality i'm just saying fair opportunity fair does not mean Ooh. equal so how, how do you feel like honestly with the role and what you're what you're witnessing personally oh i love this topic um you know i'm super passionate about this because there are so many incredible allies that are men, and I have worked with many of them um, that are advocates, like true advocates for women, meaning allow you to have a voice. Um, but I've also experienced where I've been the only female in, in a boardroom um, or in meetings where I'm, you know, people turn to me, other male peers turn to me and say, are you taking notes? I'm like, are you taking your notes? I'm taking my own notes where I'm treated like I'm the secretary, right? And that's and they they might not see it that way, but it's such an ingrained unconscious bias sometimes where, you know, we really have to remove ourselves from the picture and look inside and how are we managing that, right? As females, are we um engaging or are we educating them in a respectful way where, you know, my answer has been, I'm, I'm taking my own notes or perhaps when I, I give a suggestion and I'm dismissed or not, no one listens to me, but someone else says exactly what I said. And all of a sudden it's the bright idea. I've witnessed that I've, I've been, um, that has happened to me personally. And so for me, it has been, I have come very comfortable being uncomfortable and having really direct, hard conversations in a way that um, is productive. I don't see it as contention. I see it as I'm giving you feedback and I want feedback. Like how can I be better at communicating so that we can move forward and move past this and letting them know that came across to me as such um, where I have had to be 
just really direct. Like, please yeah. don't address me in that way. It, it makes me feel this way. Yep. Because if not, they're going to continue doing it. And not because their men are bad. I love working with men and men are brilliant and we all have our own roles. However, it is so innate and ingrained in some men that they are wildly uh, unconscious of their behavior and words. Well, that makes sense. And listen, we could have two reactions from viewers right now. Oh my gosh, another feminist. Oh my gosh, another equality talk. That's not the case. I know Diane really well. She's not a victim of that, right? You're just, and anybody that has a voice doesn't mean that they're a protester. Right. Like, and maybe, maybe you are a protester, but you're not one of these protesters at a whim. Like this is, this is a real thing. This is a real topic and it's affecting you. And if you don't voice it, who's going to voice it? And it's not just for you. It's for your daughters and your daughter's daughters and their daughter's daughter's daughters. And the, the line keeps going and thank, thankfully people speak up, but it, but it, I agree with you. And if it's important to you, it should be important to us. That's right? right. And we need to be more open. So two reactions again, it's like, oh my gosh, complain, complain, whatever these, these keyboard ninjas or whatever, you know, terrorists that are out there, whatever, keep going, keep terrorizing. You're doing a great job out there. You're creating a lot of work, uh, value in the, in the world, or there's the people that actually want to make a difference. So I think it's worth making a difference for. I think there's enough value in it. And I think it's a fair request and we can do better. So I, I think what are some steps that men could take, we could take in the C-suite to improve upon this? What are some oh, things we could do? I would say, um, one, speak up. If you see that a female... So, sorry, first I say it should matter to you. And absolutely, then, it should matter. Yeah. Two, if you see that a female is trying to share a thought and she's being spoken over... Say, just one second, Diane is trying to say something. Or um, if someone, like I would, I would attest to females, like you need to really be comfortable speaking your truth. And you can do that in a respectful manner. You don't have to do that in a degrading or upset or screaming or crying, right? Because that's the stigma that we have. Um, but you can say, hey, that really hurt my feelings and it bothers me when I am spoken to that way. Can this is why and this is how it's coming across perhaps your intentions are not there however this is how it's received and so just being really comfortable having those conversations i think it's crucial for all of us for us to speak our truth i call it my 10 seconds of bravery all i need is 10 seconds mm. 10 seconds to speak my truth no and Robbins, then from right? there yeah. yeah and then from there it just rolls right and if you have the intent to really mend the relationship and intention matters intention matters then you can move forward and move past it and one you help them become better better leaders and men in the workplace and help women really um confront the the situations yeah. and and feel at peace with there is a change happening yeah but we have to be part of the change love as that. well love that and i i listen and i know that if you were not at gab there's no way Gab would be dominating the way it's dominating today. Thank you. You're a massive part of the success of that company. And it's not just the company, but all the consumers that are using the product that are absolutely enamored with the product and we're, you're making a massive difference. So thank you. it echoes into so many different lives and homes and everything else. So thank you for being brave. Thank you for going through all the things that you went through in your childhood, being a single mom, going through school, mopping the floors, cleaning the toilets, because it's paying massive dividends. Not just for you, but so many lives that you're affecting on a daily. So the, the, the thing I want to end with is this. So you have the microphone now. You have a lot of viewers watching on many different platforms. 
advice that you would give that five to 13 to 15 year old Diane, what would you want to tell Diane? There's a lot of Diane's watching right now, or a lot of uh, ladies or people in general, even men that have gone through similar situations. What advice can you give now being where you are? I would have to say, um, I love your title. I'm going to tie it up to the title of the podcast, Live by Design. You are truly in control, no matter your circumstances. There are people and resources for you in order for you to change your life. And if you are authentic and genuinely want to bring value to others without wanting something in return, I believe that it's a boomerang and it comes back to you. So do good, be good, be intentional, and bet on yourself every day. Beautiful. Couldn't have said it better. And with that, that's a wrap. Thank Much you. love. Thank you. Thank you.